So this morning, I, I told him in the first service uh, that I'm doing chapter 5 and chapter 6 of Joshua. And um, that, that should make you nervous because um, I, I preached on Joshua 1, one chapter, and it took me about 55 minutes, and I still wasn't done. I just quit. So if I have two chapters, that could equal out to be like 110 minutes. But it won't. I promise you it won't. I'm just playing. So we're, we're going to jump right in here. You know, we started off with be strong and courageous. And why was it that, that we could say be strong and courageous? Do you remember? You can talk now. I want you to be able to talk to me. So, because um, God is with you. Right? How many of you memorized Matthew 28, 20? None of you? Come on. I will be with you until the end of the earth, Jesus Christ said in Matthew 28, 20. Excellent, excellent. I'm glad you all memorized that. Um, so that's just something to carry with you. Now, that means it wasn't just a command for Joshua to be strong and courageous. It's for all of us. We talked about that. And then Matthew last week so very well put the barriers that are between you and the promises of God, the promised land. There was a, a barrier between Israel and that land that God had promised them. You remember that sermon? That was just last week. Some of you don't remember because you weren't here and you didn't watch it online. But that's what he preached on. And the, and the barrier last week that he preached about was the Jordan River. And uh, actually the Jordan River was used as a defense mechanism by the, by the Jericho, which is what we're going to talk about today. The city of Jericho used that as a defense mechanism. It made it impossible to attack them from that direction because they had a rushing river there and no army could get through there. But God was involved and he dried up the land and let Israel walk through it on dry land. And I loved it. Me and Matt were talking about it even after his sermon that it said that when the priests that were carrying the ark dipped their foot in the water, it, it heaped up, it said. It just stopped and dammed it up. And then it was dry land that they walked out on. Sounds like only God, something God can do, right? You can try and explain that however you want to, whatever phenomenon you want to come up with, but that's impossible without God. But when God's on your side, impossible things happen. The impossible becomes possible. The very fact that you're here and have accepted Jesus Christ is a very true statement of that. Amen? See, none of you were looking for him. None of you were looking for him. He looked you up. So, that's where we start from today. So the children of Israel are on the other side of the Jordan now. And guess what? The water is no longer dammed up behind them. It's flowing again. So they're in the land now, and there's no returning. Because God's promised them this land. God has promised them this land. So, in verse 1 of chapter 5, they've just come across, they're over there. Now, this is what's reported here and written down. Verse 1, let's look at it. Now, it came about when all the kings, not some of the kings, when all of the kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites, who were by the sea 
heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed, that their hearts melted, and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. They had heard the reports. Some of them had seen it with their eyes and watched the river stop flowing and watched Israel come across one of their strongholds as though it wasn't even there. And they just walked right across that. Two million, three, however many million people there were. So they got to see that. What happened? Their hearts melted. And they lost their spirit. Wow. That sounds like great fear to me. That sounds like they were afraid of the Israelites. And they were more afraid of, of their God. So that's how this beginning section is. So now listen. Every military-minded person, like, I, I mean, anybody that has anything, knows anything about fighting, you know that the minute you have the other person fearful, that is the time to attack. Amen? That's the time to go to battle. They're afraid, they're scared, they're, they're what you call, uh, well, they had no spirit about them. They weren't ready to fight now. They're like, man, we're, 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 we're freaked out. And so it's the ideal time in a human way we'd say, this is the time to go. Attack! Go get the battle, go win. You got the land, God promised it to you. Go! Problem is, you don't get ahead of God. Whatever God has promised for you, don't get in front of him. You follow him. Amen? So I never recommend you go into battle until you're consecrated. Until you got things right with God. Do not go into battle. And that's what's going to happen. He's going to take all of chapter 5. He's going to slow the narrative way down. No, 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 no. No, Joshua, we're not going to attack. We're not attacking anyone. I want you to get right before me again. There's a covenant that I had with Abraham when I promised this land. Way, way back. And we need, to, we need to follow that covenant. What was the covenant? What was one of the aspects of that covenant for the Abrahamic covenant? One of the first things that God said to, him, to Abraham was, take you and your men tomorrow when you get up and circumcise all of your men and yourself. That's what the command was in the Abrahamic covenant. It was the, and I've used a line from John MacArthur's uh, study, study Bible, it was the surgical sign of a faith commitment to the Abrahamic covenant. Because what does he tell him in verse 2 here? So after we've heard that the kings of the Amorites and the kings of the Canaanites were freaked out, their hearts were melted, and they had no spirit within them to do any fighting. What does God do? Verse 2, at, the, at that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make for yourselves flint knives, and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. That does not sound like a plan to go fight at all. Now what do you mean by circumcise a second time? Well, remember that they've been marching around in the desert for 40 years because they resisted God and they didn't believe his, they didn't trust that he said they could have the land and they took the vote. You remember the 12 men that went and they had the vote, and only 17% voted that God could actually do what he said. So 83% said no, 
We don't think, we're, we're like grasshoppers. The, the walls go all the way to the sky. All, you know, all the report. So it wasn't a good report. So anyway, so there had been no circumcisions. During that 40-year run, they're in the desert for 40 years after that. There was no record of anybody being circumcised in that desert. So they were no longer in covenant with God to honor that Abrahamic covenant. So God says, if I'm going to take you and we're going to go into battle and I'm going to use you, you've got to be right with me. Amen? Don't try and do ministry around here if you're not right with God. Please, get right with God and then he will use you like you can never imagine him using you. Let me say that again. Get right with him, he'll use you like you can't even imagine he might use you. So he's going to make sure that everything is correct between him and Israel. Yet we're about to take a land that I promised to your father Abraham, but you've got to line yourself up with me. How do you do that? Circumcision. That's part of the covenant. Now, let me clarify something. It says circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. He's not saying that those who were under 20 at the time when they went into the 40-year journey, if they had already been circumcised, he's not saying we're going to circumcise them again. There's nothing to circumcise if they've already been circumcised. So that's not what he's saying. He's saying we're going back to the principle, we're going to circumcise the nation again so that we're in covenant once again. That's what he's saying. So this is the men who hadn't been circumcised now have to be circumcised. All right? This is not what I would call, I just would not call this a, a, a really good plan to do this before you go to battle. Okay? Probably not a really good thing. Um, you, you would not be willing to fight very much, probably, men. Uh, and, and so... You know, women have to give birth. Men had to be circumcised, you know? Okay, so um, anyway, so that's what they did. So they had a circumcision party, and uh, they took care of that. And they, so listen to this. So Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. And uh, they gave that, that same, it's amazing, they gave this place two names. This is the first time they name it. And this meant to stack up foreskin, believe it or not. That's what it meant. So that was it. Uh, for this, this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, I already explained all that. So they, this is why they did it. So do you, do you guys remember, I mean, this is, in, in Genesis 34, there's uh, the record of Dinah, which was one of the sisters who had been raped in that passage. And um, as part of the reconciliation, her brothers convinced the people that had this army of people to be circumcised, be consecrated before the Lord, and they circumcised them. Well, they immediately attacked them after the circumcision and wiped them out. Because it's not a good formula for going to battle. So God is just going, no, 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 I don't want you to attack. This, I know this is the perfect time. According to men, this would be the perfect time to attack because they have no heart and they have no spirit to them. So go after them. This would be the time. You've got them already beat. God says, no, let's just hold on. We're going to do this. You're gonna, I'm going to consecrate the people. What do they do next? 
The next section, they have a Passover. Just so happens that the timing is the Passover time. So what's the Passover? Do you guys remember what a Passover was, what that meant? It was a feast commemorating the Israelites' exodus and protection from death. How ironic that God's about to take them into a battle, and he says, let's just have a Passover. I'm going to remind you that I can keep death from your door. That's what he's doing. That happens in verse 10. While the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the desert plains of Jericho. Okay? So now they have this feast. They have a Passover feast. So they're kind of like partying a little bit. And then the very next day, the third thing I'll show you here, is now they eat of the land that God is giving them. Right? So look at that. Verses... Uh, uh, 13 through 15. Nope, wrong one, sorry. Wrong one, my bad. So uh, verse 11, here we go. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna that God had been providing for them for over 40 years ceased on that day, that 40-year part was I added that. That's not the passage. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna. But God was still providing for them, wasn't he? But they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. Now, for 40 years, some of these people have been marching around in that desert being told they're going into a land of milk and honey. And now they're there. There's still battles to be won. But they're there, and now they finally get to taste of what was promised them. When you say it's a land of milk and honey, I want to taste some milk and honey. Right? So they got to eat some of the food. It wasn't even their labor. Other people had labored to get the food even. But they got to eat of the food of that land. Now, the final thing that I want to talk about in chapter 5. So those three things took place, important things. It's all part of the consecration process of lining themselves up with God. God's starting to fulfill some of the promises of the covenant by the very fact they're eating some of the produce of the land. So it's already happening. Okay, so then in verses 13 through 15, Joshua, let's, let me read them to you. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho. So he's near Jericho, he's not in Jericho, he's by it. That he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn, sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? An important question. I want to know how the leader of Israel had somebody get in his presence with a sword drawn without being taken apart by somebody. Well, it's a little bit, explains it really quickly here. He said, no, rather I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. Well, the captain of the host of the Lord can get past any good army person, I promise you that. And Joshua, what did he do? He fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, what has my Lord to say to his servant? 
I love Joshua. I wish I was like Joshua more. Why? Well, remember I preached a couple weeks ago, I told you guys in chapter 1 there, that the first time when we were doing that, the first time we ever hear Joshua, what's he doing? He's obeying. He's obeying the man of God that was put in charge of him. It's a Hebrews 13, 17 being practiced back in Exodus. Hebrews 13, 17, submit and obey the leadership that is over you. This is for the church today. Hebrews is in the New Testament, right? So we're looking back, but Joshua just says, Moses is in charge. He's the man of God. He's the man I've submitted myself to. He wants me to get ready for war. I'm ready. Let's go. I'm obedient. This is a characteristic of Joshua that follows through his entire lifetime. He just obeys. He just does what God says to do. So what does the captain of the Lord say? He says, remove your sandals from your feet for the place that you are standing, where you are standing, is holy. And what did Joshua do? He obeyed again. He takes his shoes off. Does this remind you of something? There is so many parallels with Joshua and Moses. Moses at the burning bush, the Lord tells him, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Now we're looking at Joshua, he's saying, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Or sandals, I know, sandals, okay. And then, and then you have, what's another parallel? You have the Red Sea parting and the children of Israel walking through it on dry land. And then you have the Jordan opening up and the children of Israel walking through on dry land. Parallels, people. Parallels. It's not about the leader. It's about the God who's leading the leader. Okay? Yeah, you can clap for that. So this begins and gets me into chapter 6, and I'm leaving a ton of stuff behind because I want to get to chapter 6. So you notice in 13 it says that Joshua is down by Jericho. What's he doing down there? Got any ideas, any thoughts? In my mind, I'm going, he's down there going, Lord, I know you promised this land to us. Maybe not saying it out loud, but he's maybe thinking this. But them walls out there, they look pretty big. They're all the way to the sky. They're thick. I'm, he's trying to figure out a way to attack that. He's trying to figure out how are we going to attack that? How, how are we going to? Because you promised me the land. You promised Israel this land. And you've taken us across the Jordan. And you've been with us. And I've just been on holy ground with the commander-in-chief of your army. The captain of the Lord's, of the host, his army. Now, him knowing that, remember what his response was when he identified who he was. He fell on his face. Because he understood who this guy was. He understands, like, wait a minute. You're going to fight for us? Oh, we're in pretty good shape. It's like playing basketball and having Michael Jordan on your team. Well, maybe not today. In his prime. I don't know who I'd want on my team today. All the players I like are injured. So we get to Joshua 6, and this is what it starts with. So now the, the captain is with Joshua. He's talking to him. He's going to give him instruction. In 6, it says, in six chap, verse 1, it says, Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. Remember verse 1 of 5 said they had no heart left and their hearts had melted and they had no spirit to fight. Now it says everything's been tightened up because of the, the sons of Israel. 
No one went out and no one came in. They had closed up the walls. We're not going out and we're not letting anybody come in because we've got a little fear going on here. Okay? But these, remember how big these walls are. Now remember, uh, well, we didn't cover chapter 2, but Rahab, who uh, helped the spies to spy out Jericho, actually lived in the walls. Her household was in the walls. So uh, they didn't have big houses like we have, but they, they had a house still, and it was big enough that they could live in it. That's a pretty big wall. So he's just saying uh, no one's going out and no one's coming in. We're fortified. We're not going to allow anyone in or out. So, um, but God has a plan for those walls. He doesn't care how big they are. He's bigger than any wall. Amen? You got any walls in your life? Oh, you thought I was just going to read a story out of the Old Testament, huh? Oh, no, I got to mess with you a little bit. We got to bring it across and make it real. You got any walls in your life? I have some. I know you do too. What are you doing about those walls? I think God has a plan to help you get those walls torn down. Amen? I told you the story before. My mom prayed 30 some years for my brother that he would come to the Lord, that he would get right with the Lord. 30-something years, there was walls. And guess what? About, I don't know, probably six weeks ago, he preached at a church up in Idaho. Yeah, yeah. Those walls came down. We'll talk about that in a minute. Not necessarily that exactly, but we will talk about that. So now there's a situation in front of you. It's called the walls. And they're bigger than what you have the ability to tear down. But listen to this. I see nothing in this narrative yet. I haven't seen anything yet in the narrative, nor will I see it for a while, where any military action is being talked about. You see any military? I don't see anything talking about bring the battering ram, bring a catapult, bring the ladders. We're going we're gonna to go up the walls. And we're gonna, I don't see any of that. God, God, that's not God's plan. And the reason that God didn't let them attack whenever their hearts were melted and whenever, uh, whenever they had no spirit about them, I think the reason, one, he had to consecrate them, but the other reason was he's going to make sure that when this battle is won, he gets the credit. No scheme of man caused those walls to fall. And you've got historians that will tell you that an earthquake must have hit. Or maybe the sound waves of the people shouting causes them to baloney if I can say that in the pulpit. <laughs> Baloney. God is the one who takes those walls down, and we're going to see that. So the, the title of the sermon is God's Plan for Victory. And listen, whatever your walls are in your life right now, God has a plan on how you can be victorious and get those walls torn down. Amen? Amen. How, many of you, uh, how many of you figured out how to get saved? That's a pretty big wall in your life, isn't it? You don't know the Lord. You're dead in your trespasses. You have no relationship with him. So did you go looking for him, or did he come looking for you? He came looking for you. See, he had a plan to save you in eternity past. So don't even talk to me about you had a decision. Yes, you have to call on him. That's part of it. But when he writes your name in a book before you're ever created, he had a plan. 
He's got a plan for your life. And he's got a sovereign plan for your life now. And guess what? The plan for David Howard and Chuck Laudabodier and J.P. Webster is different than the plan he has for me. Now, salvation is included in all those plans. But the plan of my life is different than yours. No one starts preaching at the age that I started preaching. You're more intelligent than that. Okay, no one goes to seminary like I did late in life. Some do, but none of you have, right? I don't necessarily encourage that unless God's dealing with you. So, but he's got a plan. He's got a sovereign will in your life, and he's going to accomplish that. And so you need to get behind the plan. You want victory is what you want, isn't it? Don't you want victory? How many of you want to lose the battle? Any of you want to lose the battle? I don't want to lose the battle. I want to be victorious. And guess what? Your victory is God's glory. Now listen to this. This would be so encouraging if you were the guy that's in charge of this particular battle. Verse 2 of chapter 6. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and valiant warriors. Wait a minute. We haven't even started fighting yet. It's past tense. When you look up the words, you know, grammatically is how you're supposed to study scriptures. When you look it up, it means it's already done. It's a done deal. I've sealed it. They got their walls sealed up. I've sealed up the deal with you. We're taking those walls down. Be strong and courageous. The Lord is with you. We're taking the walls. It's a remarkable thing when God makes promises like that. Has he ever made any promises to you that you're not cashing in on? You know what I have in my future? Eternity with him. Amen. One day, all of you that are younger are going to bury me. And oh, please don't weep. Please don't. Even my kids, don't weep. I will be so much better off. I will. There'll be no more taxes to pay. <laughs> and I paid enough. But that is the ultimate victory. It's when you stand before the king of kings as one of his children. And don't glorify the person that's standing there. Glorify the one that got him there. God's plan for the victory. Let's read it real quick. I got a hustle here. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, circling the city once. You shall do this for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with a ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every man straight ahead. Now then, he's telling this to Joshua. And what I love here is I don't see Joshua going, what? Because I would have been going, what are you talking about? March around the city. You know, they're up there on the walls. They can throw things at us. They can, they can harm us. No, 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 no. Now, I, I, in one of the commentaries I read, they said it took him about 30 minutes to walk around the walls. 
a half an hour every day for six days. Just walk around it. At the end of the march, you're going to blow the horns and you're going to go back to camp. So imagine, if you will, the first day the Canaanites and the Amorites that are inside the fortified city and on those walls are going, what are these guys doing? We've got to kind of keep a watch on them. And then they walk away and just, just go back to their camp. They're like, hey, wait a minute, what in the world? Okay, but after about three or four days, they're going, these guys, what a bunch of yokos. What a bunch of goofballs. They're not ever going to attack. They've they got no way to get in our city. They're just marching around out there trying to figure it out. And they're make, you know they're making fun of them. You know they're throwing jokes at them. You know they are. I would be if I was on that wall. What a bunch of idiots marching around blowing a horn. What's that going to do? Are you going to march us to death? I mean, you can just imagine some of the comments. What is Joshua's response? So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let seven priests carry seven trumpets of rams. So he now repeats the instructions to them. This is what we're going to do. That's in verse 6 through 10. Verse 11. So, uh, is that right? Verse 11. That's where they started actually doing it, is verse 11. Let me get back to my passage here. Verse 12 is what I'm after. Now Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets, and the armed men went before them, and the rear guard came after them, and the after the ark of the Lord, while they continued to blow the trumpets. Thus, the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did so for six days. Six days in a row, this is what they did. They did it immediately. Joshua obeyed, and he did his stuff like, right now, let's go do it. Circumcise your men. We're going to do it. Go, go and march around the city. We're going to do it. So for seven days, they march around the city, and they do as God said. On the seventh day, how many times did they march around it? seven times and then they blow the horn these horns they blow them and it's a long blast and then Joshua gives them instructions to shout and it's a shout of victory okay now up until then Joshua's told them be silent don't say a word just march so even don't respond to the, the hecklers just keep marching God has a plan. Follow his plan. It's going to work. What if they had decided not to follow his plan? I think the walls of Jericho would still be standing. But they followed the plan. Remember what they promised in, in chapter 1, verse 18, all of the leaders of Israel? They promised to obey everything Joshua told them. Well, so far, we see them doing that. Now, next week, we're going to talk about Achan, and so we're going to see that that didn't exactly follow through. So the plan was, this is what you're going to do. They follow the plan, and what happens? The walls come a-tumbling down. There's a song we used to sing in Sunday school. I'm so old I can't remember the tune. But that's the end of it. Like they marched around the city, and we did it as little kids. We marched around the room, and then the seventh day, they shouted, and we would shout, and the walls came a-tumbling down. And that's what happened. What happens when you follow God's plan when you follow God's plan, there's victory at the end of it. It works. It works. 
So Kevin just said, I go, what happens when you follow God's plan? He goes, it works. And it does. It doesn't work the way you would have done it. This is not what Joshua would have done. Right? He's a valiant warrior. He's thinking, we're going to attack the city. There's going to be a lot of bloodshed. Well, they did attack the city, but not until those walls caved in. And they took the city by storm. They took it like it was no big deal. Because God had already won the battle. There are things in your life this morning that you're struggling with that God has already been, he's already figured out how to make you victorious. You know what? You want to know what God's plan is. I think I do this almost every time I preach. I think it's in here. Right? I think it's in here. You don't know his plan because you won't read it. So you want to wander in the desert. You know why I can say that so emphatically? Because I did that for years. What's God's will in my life? What's God's will in my life? What's God's will in my life? Open the book. Read it. You'll find out his general will for sure. Now, if you're asking me who should I marry, I'm the wrong guy. I can tell you principles of who you should marry, but the actual individual, no. You better have some intelligence of your own by, to do that. So, that's where I'm going to stay. What walls are in your life today? What sin are you doing that's keeping you away from what God wants to do with you? Are you doing something that you've been doing? Maybe it's, maybe you've had problem with anger. Maybe you've been angry before. And, and you can't quite control that. You've learned to count to 10 when you get mad about something. I'm just going to count to 10. One, two, three, 10. Okay. Um, maybe that's a wall for you. Well, God speaks about that in Scripture, how to control your anger. It's not becoming of someone who's a Christian. You're not being spirit-led when, when you let anger get a hold of you. It's a, it's a thing, it's a barrier. It's another barrier that doesn't just keep you out of the promised land. It, does, it takes you away from God's plan. God's plan in your life is that you become like Christ. You cannot become like Christ and stay in your sin. That's not part of his plan. But boy, if you'll become like Christ, there's victory in that, first of all. And guess who gets the glory? God. God gets all the glory. I cannot think of a time in my life that I have been victorious in a battle against a certain something, whatever that might have been in my life, and God's come through time and time and time again, and he's come through, and he's torn down the wall that caused me to have that suffering in my life, and guess what? I didn't walk away going, hey, I did a pretty good job there, didn't I? Because that means one of my walls would be arrogance, huh? And pride. No, 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 no. Recognize where it comes from. You know, there's a whole section here. I'm not going to read it. There's a whole section here that says, when you get in the land, let me warn you something. When you get in the land, don't take anything. The only thing you take is to put back into the altar area, back to the temple. Why? Because God says, I'm the one who won the battle. I get the glory. You acknowledge me in it. If you keep anything for yourself, you're saying you had part of it. What did you do? You marched around the city. 
And guess what they do? He tells them to kill everything. Every man and woman. Every livestock. All of it. We do not need anything from the Canaanites. God is in control. He will give you what you need. Amen? You don't need what this world has. It looks attractive, people, but it keeps you from God. It keeps you from victory. And it keeps you from Him getting glory. When you're out here sinning and doing your thing and having a fine old time, because it looks attractive, and it is attractive for a season, what walls have you built to keep you away from glorifying Him? You see, when your life is successful in God, it glorifies Him. And you get victory. You get victory that you hand back to Him. So they weren't allowed to take anything from the battle. No, no, no. You don't take anything. It, and whatever, the gold and silver that you're going to take, you don't take it home with you. It goes to the temple. It comes back to God. It comes back to the place where I dwell. All right? Now, like I said, we'll see a little bit later that, that they have a little problem with that. But that'll be uh, next week. I think Matt's speaking next week on that. And so, um, but there you go. God's plan for victory. It wasn't the plan that men would have done. They'd have been trying to figure out how to penetrate those walls and burn them down and hot oil them and do whatever else you see in those, those films during that time. But instead, God says, no, 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 I want you guys, really, I just want you to stand out here and march around. I'll take care of the walls. And I'll make it. Can you imagine what it was like to be in the walls and have them come down like that? That, that they, they were done. They were done. And they were already done previously when they'd come across the Jordan. As far as their spirit was concerned, they, weren't, they didn't want to fight. And so when God is on your side, the walls are never too big. He's capable of tearing them all down for you. But you've got to follow his plan. You have to go after his plan, not the plans of the world. We, we cannot let the world get inside the church and start telling us how to do church. Amen? Amen. And you've got to keep that stuff separated. We've got to build some walls in some times. But the big thing there is following after God's plan will always lead you to victory. Let me say that again. I didn't say it will sometimes lead you to victory. If you're following the plan that he put down, you're always going to be victorious. Amen? So, what are you not following his plan in? I know that's stepping on people's toes, but that's what we're supposed to do kind of from up here. What in your life are you not doing that you should be doing? What are you doing that you shouldn't be doing? A question that we always ask in counseling is, what sin will you commit to get what you want? Yeah. What wall are you allowing in your life that keeps you from getting the victory? And I, I could go on. There's a whole list of those that we could go through, but you all know individually what I'm talking about. Because you can act like, well, I don't even know what he's talking about. But yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Unless you're just not paying attention at all. We all know we have walls in our lives. And um, God wants to be victorious in taking those walls down for you this morning. But you've got to follow the plan. You have to follow his plan. You have to walk in accordance with the Holy Spirit. If you want to do things for God, you let the Holy Spirit guide you through it. 
You can do nothing to please God in your flesh. You can do all things through the Spirit to please God. Amen? That's just part of a plan. That's just one little thing you can do. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Quit trying to take his job away from him. God doesn't need your help. He needs you to cooperate. He needs you to be Joshua-like in your spirit of being obedient and just doing what you're told to do by God. Not by the elders. The Word of God. The Word of God. Guess what? In here, I have to do everything it says. Even as an elder and an executive pastor and all that, hey, my responsibility is the same as yours. I'm expected even more so. But it comes from here. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your plan in our lives. I thank you for this wonderful story of what you did for the children of Israel and how you, they didn't even have to hardly do anything at this battle. You had done, you had taken care of everything. And um, the miracles that are performed in these two incidences of coming across the Jordan and then these walls falling in Jericho and the children of Israel taking that city. Uh, what a magnanimous thing, but what a hope that we have knowing that when we follow your plan, you have victory in mind for us. And in the same time, you become glorified in it. Lord, the people of Valley Bible Church, we want to be about glorifying you. We want to tell people about Jesus Christ, which glorifies you. Every time someone gets saved, it glorifies you. Every time we do Candy Kingdom and tell people about Jesus, we're glorifying you. We're following your plan. Bless us now as we leave. Jesus' name. Amen. You can go.